KMTT, Kimitzion Tetzei Torah. You're listening to the Arab Shabbat program with your host, Jonathan Snowbell. Lamed Adar Aleph, Rosh Chodesh Adar Bet. Shabbat, Parshat Pigudei, Shabbat Rosh Chodesh, and Shabbat Parshat Shkalim. Misha Nichnas Adar Marbim Simcha, and the Arab Shabbat program is Lilui Nishmat, Shlomo Yosef, and Chaim Shmuel. Well, <clears throat> it's two weeks till Purim. What are my options? I could talk about the Parsha, Parshat Pikudei. That'd be a bit tricky. We've spoken about the Mishkan quite a bit already. I could talk about Parshat Shkalim. No, I mentioned Parshat Shkalim last week. And indeed, Parshat Shkalim comes up in Parshat Kitisa, which we read just two weeks ago. And seeing that Purim isn't two weeks, and on the Arab Shabbat program that falls out on Purim, hmm, maybe some of the listeners will not be in their regular self sense of mind in order to be able to listen. Therefore, we are going to try to delve a little bit into Purim on this Arab Shabbat program, get ourselves prepared. If on a Chag Doraita, on a Torah holiday, we say we prepare ourselves 30 days before, so on a Durabanan holiday, we'll prepare ourselves 12 days, uh, 15 days, two weeks before. It's an interesting phenomenon, Megillat Esther, the holiday of Purim. The careful reader of the Megillah and Chazal were amongst those careful readers, note that there is a tension revolving around establishing Purim as a permanent holiday. How do we see this? We see the first time Mordechai and Esther, they sent out letters that the Jewish people should keep the 14th day and the 15th day of Chodesh Adar, Bechol Shana Veshana. Alright, well, if they sent out letters, shouldn't be any problem. And it says, Vikibel HaYehudim, strange pair of words, Vikibel HaYehudim, it should be Vikiblu HaYehudim, or Vikibel HaYehudi, perhaps. But of course, Kibel HaYehudi has no min- uh, uh, meaning to it. In any case, it seems that the Jews accepted. And yet, towards the end of the Megillah, it sounds like Esther and Mordechai need to send out letters once again, Shenit, a second time, again to tell them to keep Purim. Some people were not interested in keeping Purim. What's the problem here? And finally, maybe one of the more famous comments of Chazal, Final pasuk of the Megillah: Ki Mordechai Yudi Mishnah LaMelech Hashverosh VeGadol Ayudim VeRatzui LeRov Echav. The Rosh Tov Lamo VeDover Shalom LeCholzarov. Mordechai Yudi, in all his grandeur, etc., etc., is accepted by the majority of his brethren. The majority, but not all of his brethren. On the simplest level, Purim raises a very, very basic halachic problem of lotosifu, the Torah prohibits us from adding to the mitzvot of the Torah. 
the Gemara in Megillah answers what it answers. And we do celebrate Purim, and presumably we do not transgress the prohibition of Loto Sifu, not to add on the Torah's mitzvot. Why is a topic for a separate Shi'ur or Arab Shabbat program, perhaps? But there is something more, something else bubbling under the surface here. And that is the lack of direction of the Jews as a result of this miracle. When the Gemara discusses why we do not say Hallel on Purim, one of the answers that the Gemara brings is that this is a miracle that happens in Chutzlarts. And all of our clever students immediately ask, well, the miracle of Pesach also transpired in Chutzlarts. And in fact, the Gemara asks this as well. The Gemara answers what the Gemara answers, and perhaps the Gemara intends something along the lines of what I want to say. And that is that it is simple that on Pesach, when we got out of Mitzrayim, in order to go into Eretz Israel, in order to complete the five stages of Geula, that this is a beginning stage, and therefore it is worthy of celebrating. We are on our way to Eretz Israel. However, in the miracle of Purim, Akate Avade the We are still the slaves of Achashverosh. We are still in Chutzlaaretz, and perhaps we have no intention of going back to Eretz Yisrael. The time of Megillat Esther is the time of Shivat Zion, the return to Zion. And here we have Jews living in Paras, living in Babel. Perhaps a certain interpretations of the Megillah, including Chazal, will tell us we are intermingling amongst the Persians. We are assimilating amongst the Persians. And does this attitude change towards the end of the Megillah? Interesting question. Is there a clear answer to that question? The lack of Eretz Yisrael in this miracle of Purim raised and raises questions for the Jews. Is this indeed a national holiday? The, tour, the term Purim became a borrowed term for the generations subsequently that each and every community that was under the threat of destruction in the Galut, in exile, whether in Europe or North Africa or elsewhere, and they were saved. The day that the community was saved was celebrated as a local Purim. This community accepted upon itself that for every year that day, on that date, the people of the town would celebrate a celebration. They wouldn't say Tachanun, they would shave, they would make a Seudat Mitzvah. They would celebrate their Purim. This did not become a national holiday for the rest of the Jews. 
and rightfully so. The Jews continued to live in their communities, and it had no impact on the rest of the Jewish communities. Clearly, this cannot be said about Purim of Megillat Esther. All the Jews were under the decree of death as a result of Haman's doing. And therefore, all the Jews were saved. And in that sense, there is a national salvation and room for a national holiday. But is that so? Is this a miracle for Am Yisrael, the nation of Israel? Or is this a miracle for a large group of individuals who call themselves the Jews? Hayyehudim. Yehudim is the term of which we refer to the Jews in Megillat Esther. We do not refer to them as Yisrael or Am Yisrael. They are Hayyehudim. And perhaps the Jews are a very, very large group of individuals who a very significant miracle happened to. But it's not a national holiday. And even if every single individual member of the nationality celebrates it, perhaps it's still not a national holiday. Let's try to bring this down to earth. Sounds a little bit esoteric right now. The Gemara discusses a machloket without getting into too many details as to when we celebrate Purim in a leap year, our year. Is it in Adar Rishon or in Adar Sheni? Amar Bichia Barbin Amar Biochanan. Pardon me, Amar Biochanan. We're in Daf Vavam Udbet Masachet Megillah. Ushneh Mikra Echad Darshu. Bechol Shana Veshana. Both sides of the argument learn from one verse, one pasuk. Bechol shana v'shana. Rabbi Eliezer, Rabbi Yossi, who says that we should celebrate in Adar Rishon, says, Savar, bechol shana v'shana, like every year. Ma bechol shana v'shana adar hasamuch lishvat. Afkan adar hasamuch lishvat. Just like every other year, Adar is close to Shvat. So too, this year in leap year, the Adar, which is close to Shvat, in other words, Adar Rishon. Verashbag, Rabban Shimon ben Gamliel Savar, Bechol Shana Vishana, Ma Kol Shana Vishana Adar Samuch Nisan, Afkan Adar Samuch Nisan. Rabban Shimon ben Gamliel says, like every other year, just like Adar every other year is close to Nisan, so too, this year in a leap year, the Adar that is close to Nisan, in other words, Adar Sheni. And the Mar goes on, because clearly this Machloket needs further explanation. Adar on a regular year is close to both Shvat and Nisan. Why decide to say that Adar is close to Shvat and not Nisan, and vice versa? The Gemara continues. Bishlama Rabbi Eliezer Rabbi Yosi Mistaber Tama Dein Maaviri Nala Mitzvot. Rabbi Eliezer Rabbi Yosi, why does he prefer the Adar that is close to Shvat? Ki Ein Maaviri Nala Mitzvot. We don't pass up a mitzvah when we have the opportunity. It comes to our hands, we immediately do it. So if the first Adar is the first to arrive, then we should clearly celebrate Purim in Adar. 
However, so what does Rabban Shimon Ben Gamliel say? El Rashbag Mai Tama. What's his reasoning? Amar Rabbi Tevi Tama de Rabbi Shimon Gamliel Mismach Geula Geula Adif is preferable to juxtapose one Geula to the other Geula. What are the two Geulot? The Geula of Purim and the Geula of Pesach of Nisan. Now the clause Ein Ma'avirin Ela Mitzvot is an important halacha clause which tells us that we shouldn't pass up on mitzvot. But there are exceptions to that rule. A person who, a person, a, a male who puts on talus and tefillin in the morning, the Shulchan Aruch tells us <coughs> we put on the talus and then we put on the tefillin. However, says the Shulchan Aruch, if I come in contact with my tefillin before my talit, then I put on my tefillin first because ein ma'avirin ala mitzvot. However, that's not true within the tefillin itself. If I come in contact with my shell rosh before my shell yad, and the shell yad is supposed to be put upon us first, we don't put on the shell rosh first. We still put on the, path, the on the shell yad first. We ignore ein ma'avirin al mitzvah. We ignore this clause of not passing up on a mitzvah because there's a more compelling reason to put on the tefillin shel yad first, and that's the order of the pasuk, vayala ot al yadcha, ulizikaron beninecha. First, the tefillin shel yad, and then the tefillin shel rosh. Why then is Rabbi Lezer, Rabbi Yossi, not willing to pass up on ein ma'avirin al mitzvot when Rashbah gives a seemingly compelling answer of mismach geula l'geula adif? Juxtaposing the Geula of Adar to the Geula of Nisan is preferable, and therefore we should do it in Adar Sheni. Perhaps Rabbi Lezer Rabbi Yossi believes that yes, we can overcome the problem of Baal Tosif when it comes to Purim, and we can overcome the fact that perhaps this wasn't a national salvation but a salvation of all the individual Jews in the world at the time but don't tell me says Rabbi Lezer Rabbi Yossi that this holiday is a national holiday a holiday that connects to all the other holidays of the year of Pesach, the Chag Gula. this is not a holiday of redemption the holiday of redemption of Pesach is a national redemption for the Jewish people. And Purim is not a national redemption. It's a private redemption for every single Jew throughout the world. But not a national redemption. And being that it's not a national redemption, it should not be juxtaposed to Pesach. It has nothing to do with Pesach. At this point, in the height of the tension, we shall go to Rav Tavori. On Rosh Chodesh Adar is the yard site of the Shach. Although the Shach actually was nifter in Rosh Chodesh Adar Aleph, and we are now in Rosh Chodesh Adar Sheni. I thought it would still be appropriate to talk about the Shach, as we did speak about the Taz last month, 
And we mentioned that the Shach and the Taz were, as it were, seemingly opponents who battled each other on the Talmudic field. But nevertheless, they showed tremendous respect and love for each other. And therefore, it would be appropriate to learn the Shach as well as the Taz. The Shach was born in 1621 and learned by Rebbe Reb Heschel of Krakow. Now, we also know that the father of the Shach was himself a great gon named Rav Meir. On the letters and in the introduction of the Shach, he mentioned his father as Adoni Mori Verabi Hagon. So uh, the assumption is that his father was a great gon, but I know very little about him. The Rabbi Shabtai Kohen, the Shach, the son of Rav Meir, or the son of Hagon Rav Meir, moved with his Rebbe, Rav Heschel of Krakow, and learned with him, but he married in Vilna to a very rich family. His father-in-law was named Binyamin Zev Taiber, who was related to the Ramah. Some think that he was actually a son-in-law or a grandson-in-law of the Ramah, but we know that he was definitely related to the family of the Ramah, and the Shach occasionally quotes the Ramah as Chamizikni, my father-in-law, my elder father-in-law, as of my great-grand, my grandfather-in-law. So perhaps the Shach's wife was really the granddaughter of the Ramah, but she certainly was related to him. His father-in-law, as a rich man, supported the Shach and told him to devote his time to learning, which he obviously did. He mentions about himself the Hasmada, the dedication of learning day and night. And he was recognized by his peers, he was recognized by the community, and he became a Dayan in Vilna. Now, when we remember that Vilna had this appellation of being known as Yerushalayim of Europe, as a town which was filled with Tamini Chachamim, to think that the Shach was appointed Dayan is very interesting. But if we remember the age that the, the, the Shach in 1621 was born, in the year 1646, which means when he was only 25 years old, the Shach on Yeridei was published. The Shach is the classic commentator, along with the Taz, on, the, on Shulchan Aruch Yeridei. Till this day, the Smicha Bechinas consists of, among other things, of knowing Shulchan Aruch with Shach and Taz. It became automatic, the Shach and Taz. A sefer that was written by a young man of 25 years old became a classic in the world of Torah. In the introduction to the sefer, which is printed in the standard Shulchan Aruch before Yeridea, this is the first sefer that the Shach actually printed. He commented that he has other sefer already ready for preparation, or for printing. That means at the age, again, at the age of 25, not only did he write the Shach on Yeridea, but other Sfarim were printed. 
apparently some of them were printed posthumously. The same year, in 1646, the Shach printed, the Shach, the Taz came out more or less the same time. The Taz was older than the Shach, but his favor appeared also around that time. And then, a sort of a battle went on between the Shach and the Taz. The Shach wrote a book called Nekudos HaKesef, which are comments and criticisms on the Taz. If we remember, the Taz is Zahav, and his answer was Kesef, Nekudot Kesef. Perhaps he was showing modesty and saying that although I'm only Kesef as opposed to Zahav, Nekudot Kesef, nevertheless he found it proper to answer the Taz. The Taz then answered the Shach by writing a Sefer that he added, appended to the Taz, which is called Daf Acharon, an append, appendant of a part that was appended to the his parish on the, on the Shulchan Aruch and of course the Shach has again a, a, a rebuttal and this went on And but as I said in the introduction of the Shach to Yeridei in the second introduction it, discuss, it describes the love and affection and respect that they definitely showed each other now besides writing a Sefer which became a classic on Yeridei the Shach wrote a perush on the Shulchan Aruch Mishpat, which was printed posthumously by his family. This sefer also became the meat and potatoes of learning of learning Choshen Mishpat. The Shach's Bekias is so phenomenal, is so amazing. It's hard to believe someone his age could have accomplished so much. When we remember the time in which he lived, which we'll discuss in a minute, it's even more unusual. This is Bikias was so great, he quotes so many Svarim that many of them we only know of because the Shach quoted them, that there were people that actually thought that he had mystical abilities to attain such Bikias. They say, Yada lechavein shem kadosh, lechavein bo v'limtsa b'kiyut she'rotzeh, Take Ephemiyad. He had some sort of a mystical ability to say some special ideas or think special kavanas, and he would find the sources that he was looking for immediately. The person who said this comment obviously was awed by the Bikiyas of the Shach and couldn't imagine this being done in a normal fashion. The Shach and Choshemishpat almost consistently shows tremendous bekiyas and tremendous erudition, tremendous imagination, fertility, and thought, and is used as again the basic text of learning Choshemishpat is with with the Shach. But the Shach's life, although he had the opportunity and he obviously developed. This, his learning and wrote these for him he lived in a very difficult time in Jewish history he was involved in the Gezeros in the massacres and the pogroms of Tach v'tat, and he ran away from place to place he be, eventually he went to a city called Holosov where he passed away in Rosh Chodesh Adar Aleph of 1662 
that means that this his whole life was only 41 years in 41 years the Shach wrote the Shach and on Yerodeya, on Chosha Mishpat as well as Svarim as other Svarim that some parts of which we do have, some of which maybe we don't have he says that he wrote the papers from the tour and Beis Yosef, some of which was printed he wrote a Sefer on Shas I don't know if that was printed but he also as a, a person of his time wrote about his time itself as a historian, if you will. He wrote Megillas Eifa, a book describing the tragedy of his time. He wrote Slichos, which we would call today like Kinos, about his time. He, in fact, declared certain days as fast day for his community and wanted his children to say Slichos on that day. So, his sense of history, his sense of the time in which he lived, and portraying that time, and describing it for future generations, also existed in the Shach. He wrote another Sefer, a very short monograph, which was written actually, according to his own description, in one month, is also a classic in the world of learning Gemara. The Sefer Tokfo Kohen about the sugya of what to do in money is held in doubt, and one person would grab it from another, is a Sefer that was published in a few pages, written, as I said, in one month, but the secondary and tertiary literature on Tokfo Kohen is amazing in the world of yeshivas, People have printed Tukafo Kohen today in editions which expanded like ten times by the original text with commentaries and commentaries and commentaries. The Shach's legacy of learning both Chosh and Mishpat and Yerodeya has continued from his time until this very day and presumably will continue forever. People who learn Shulchan Aruch Learn the Shach. I'd like to mention one particular Chiddush of the Shach, and it became a very difficult question to discuss which Chiddush of the Shach should I mention. I chose this one for a reason that will soon be apparent. The Shulchan Aruch says in Yeridea, Simon Reishnon base, that Pidyon Shvuyim is a great mitzvah. If a person, if a community decides to build a shul, so they nevertheless should take the money that was collected and use it to ransom someone. If they already had begun the building, they should take the money and build the, and, 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 re, and ransom the person. But the Gemara says, and what happened if they already built the shul? So the Gemara uses the phrase, which literally means the house of a person is not sold. The Shulchan Aruch seems to rule that you cannot 
destroy a shul or sell a shul better in order to ransom a shavui, a person who was kidnapped. So the Shach asks a question there in Simulation Base, which is known in certain circles as a triangle question. A is bigger than B, B is bigger than C, but nevertheless it seems that C is bigger than A, which seems like a logical impossibility. What's the cases here? We know that a Sefer Torah is holier than a Shul. Kedusha Sefer Torah is more important than a Shul. You're not allowed, so that's point A. Now, a Sefer Torah is allowed to be sold for Pidyon Shvuyim. So, since a shul is greater than a shul, and you're allowed to sell a Sefer Torah for a shul, then certainly you should be allowed to sell a shul for a Pidyon Shvuyim. And the Shulchan Aruch said, the Rasi quotes the Gemara, the Rasi din shilamasachi, we don't sell the building of the shul. So why is that true? So the Shach himself suggests an answer, and he said we made one basic mistake. When the Gemara said, it doesn't mean that you're not allowed to do it. It means it's not customary to do it, and therefore, we don't have to anticipate such a situation. For the people that want to learn the Sugim of Basra about when you can uproot a shul, so that is the in context of that Gemara, the Gemara says we don't have to take that into account. But the Shach says it doesn't mean that they're not allowed. They are allowed to sell a shul in order to do Pidyan Shvuyim. So therefore the whole Kasha is, is, not, is based on a fallacy. You're allowed to sell a shul. You're even allowed to sell a Sefer Torah. And a Sefer Torah indeed is more holy than a shul. And if you can sell a, shul, a Sefer Torah, you can certainly sell a shul. The Shach, though, and this is the reason I chose this particular Shach, quotes his father as Adoni Avi Mori Hagon. This is one of the indications that the father of the Shach himself was a big Tanakhacham. And he said a very interesting idea. He said, when you sell a Sefer Torah, the assumption is the Sefer Torah will continue being a Sefer Torah. Whoever buys the Sefer Torah is not just buying. Uh, cloth. He's not just buying the parchment because he wants more parchment. He's buying a Sefer Torah because he wants a Sefer Torah. And that Sefer Torah will stay Kadosh. It will retain its holiness. When people buy a shul, when you sell a shul, very often, unfortunately, we see in our world today, when you sell a shul, it's not that somebody else wants the shul to use as a shul. They want to destroy the shul. They want the plot. They want the land to build something else on. And, of course, we know many, many situations in Chutzlaretz where they destroy the shul in order to build something else that is not appropriate for that particular spot, which had Kedusha of Beis HaKnesses. So, the... The answer of the father of the Shach was, a Sefer Torah is more important. And you're not allowed to lose the Kedusha of a Sefer Torah Rashul, but the fact is that if you sell the Sefer Torah, you won't lose it to the Kedusha. The Kedusha will, will, will remain. On the other hand, although a Shul has less Kedusha than a Sefer Torah, you should not sell the Shul, because that would mean a destruction of the Kedusha of the Shul. And that is certainly improper. We have given ex- an example of the Shach that... When we say Torah from the Nifter, 
So we say, It's as if we're saying his Torah, and his, he, we're bringing him back to life, that he's speaking Torah to us. In this case, we brought back both the Torah of the Shach, and his father, Hagom Rav Meir. Hagom Rabbi Shabzai Kohen, the Shach, Ben Hagom Harav Meir, it was Nifter in 1662, Rosh Chodesh Adar, when he was 41 years old. Teinaf Shot Surah B'Tzorah Chayim is certainly appropriate when we learn the Shach day in and day out, both in Chosh Mishpat and Yeridea. Thank you very much, Rav Tavori. We left off with Rabbi Lezer Rabbi Yossi saying a very compelling argument. The Jewish people had a miracle. The Jewish, the sum of all the Jewish people, but the Israelite nation did not have a redemption. And therefore, there should be no connection between this holiday of Purim and Pesach. This holiday of Purim is just like the Purims that were celebrated in Europe and other places amongst diaspora Jews. But there was a salvation, a local salvation, not a national salvation. The locality here is bigger. It's Me'av Esrim Besheva Medina of 127 kingdoms of Achashverosh. It happens to include all the Jews of the world. Nonetheless, it is not a national salvation. And after all of this, Rabban Shimon ben Gamliel says, No. It is preferable to juxtapose these two gula together. This is not a gula merely of individuals. This is a gula of the Jewish nation. And being a gula of the Jewish nation, it should be juxtaposed to the other gula of the Jewish nation, the quintessential gula of the Jewish nation, Pesach. <coughs> How indeed is this a national gula? If the Jewish people who chose to remain in Galut despite the return uh, to Zion. How could this be a national redemption if the Jewish people, even after being saved, even after being threatened with death, chose to stay in their comfortable homes in Paras and Babel and the other 124 nations, not including Eretz Yisrael? These and more we will discuss next Arab Shabbat program. Shabbat Shalom.